Whenever I open my Bible to John chapter 3 and eavesdrop on that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, I'm always struck by just how much is going on in those 17 verses of Scripture from that whole theological issue of baptism and what it really means to be born again to how a person comes to faith to John 3.16, which is arguably the best-known single verse in the entire Bible. But I'm also always struck by the fact that all of that takes place in the context of a conversation between Jesus and a guy who by all outward appearances has it all. Nicodemus is a person of great affluence and influence. He is a leader and a nationally known figure in all of ancient Israel. For openers, Nicodemus is a Pharisee of which there are several thousand and yet it was an elite group of religious people dedicated to the interpretation and the enforcement of Judaism's religious laws which made them opposed to and seeking out Jesus to put an end to his ministry in violation of many of those laws, which he committed by doing things like healing people on the Sabbath and uh, telling people they were forgiven when they should have been punished under those laws or associating with still others who were considered to be unclean or off limits by the Pharisees because of their behavior or their lifestyle or their race or their religion. Not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, he was also a member of the Sanhedrin which was an even more elite group. It was the high court of Judaism, which included only 71 people and was led by a man who was known as the high priest. And so Nicodemus had immense popularity and also immense power, a high-ranking person of affluence and also of influence. And that's my somewhat longer interpretation of verse one of our gospel lesson, which says that there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a leader of the Jews, who according to John in the very next verse, seeks out Jesus by night. And given all of that, the obvious question is, why? Why would a man like that seek out a personal conversation with Jesus in the shadows, under the cover of darkness, where it was just the two of them, rather than taking an entourage of Pharisees who were known to interview Jesus and interrogate him in the light of day, publicly, and would have taken a rather dim view of this nighttime, private, and friendly conversation. And why would Nicodemus, of all people, refer to Jesus as a teacher sent from God, which wasn't exactly the language of the Pharisees unless they were being sarcastic or, or trying to trick Jesus or set him up. The answers, I believe, have to do with the fact that this was personal and intimate. This was not a, an official visit of the Sanhedrin. And that suggests a couple of things to me, one of which is that in spite of the fact that for all outward appearances, Nicodemus had it all, there was still something that he didn't have, something he was lacking, something that he was looking for and was still keeping a secret. It also suggests to me that in spite of his membership in the party of the Pharisees, in spite of his leadership in the Sanhedrin, that Nicodemus was thinking that there just might be something to 
this Jesus. And so he seeks Jesus out under the cover of darkness. And that was a risky thing for him to do because it isn't easy to to break ranks with your tribe, with your party, with your family, with your past, even and especially when you do have great power and are well known to the people of your nation. And yet Nicodemus seeks out this conversation with Jesus, one-on-one, man-to-man, in the shadows, under the cover of darkness. And the conversation is just filled with questions that Jesus listens to, and he answers by saying things to Nicodemus like, the Spirit of God cannot be contained in religious laws or rules. Just like the wind blows wherever it pleases, and you don't know where it's going to take you. And they talk about baptism and what it means to be born again or born from above and how God operates in water with this new and free and and right spirit and all of these things are just so important and I think I could preach a sermon on any one of them but what I really want to point out to you today is how Jesus in that conversation drives to one very significant important, eternal, and fundamental point. He drives Nicodemus to a message about the life-changing, law-shattering, spirit-renewing, one and only grace of God. Jesus drives Nicodemus all the way to John 3.16, which says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have life. Jesus tells this VIP in all of Israel, this ruler, this judge of its religious laws, that he did not come to condemn him or the rest of the world, but he came to save him and the rest of the whole wide world world. And even though he was younger then than I am now, I remember sitting in a Sunday school class when I was a little kid that happened to be taught by my father that day. And by the way, if you ever teach a Sunday school class in which your own children are present, do not single them out for the tough questions, as he did. Nevertheless, I remember that the lesson that day was John 3:16, and I can still see him sitting at the end of the table with a Bible in front of him, with a chalkboard behind him and that blue flannel graph and pointing at John 3.16 and saying to us, this is the whole thing. This is everything. This is the whole gospel. If you don't remember anything else, remember John 3.16. I'm sure that most of you know who Tim Tebow is. And if you don't, he's a Heisman Trophy winning football player who also played a little bit of baseball and is also, and maybe even better known for his very outspoken Christian faith that included kneeling down for prayer on the football field, which came to be known as T-bowing and was the subject of a lot of teasing and a lot of uh, ridicule and judgment along the way. But the story goes that Tim Tebow's parents were missionaries uh, to the Philippines. And while they were there, his mother uh, became seriously ill and hospitalized. And in fact, 
sank into a deep coma for several days, during which it was discovered that she was pregnant. When she came out of the coma and recovered, her doctors recommended that she terminate the pregnancy for, for medical reasons, but they did not do that. And the child that was eventually born was given the name Timothy Richard, who grew up in the faith as well as in football, and who I mentioned to you today because during the BCS championship game of 2008, when Tebow was playing for the Florida Gators, he wrote John 3.16 on the black ink under his eyes, and that's how he played the game. The next year, the NCAA passed a ruling that prohibited messages on football players' eye black, which came to be known as the Tebow rule. But the kicker, if you'll pardon the expression, turned out to be the fact that that night after that game was telecast, there were 94 million online searches for John 316. 94 million searches, the number one Google search that night in the darkness, in the shadows, and during the next day in that 24-hour period. And what that tells me is a couple of things. One is that there were 94 million people who don't know what John 3.16 is. It also tells me that because of Tim Tebow's witness, because of his faith, because of his example, because of his gifts and ability, and his platform, 94 million people were interested enough to go and find it and what it meant. Now, I have no idea how many of those 94 million people experienced a spiritual awakening or a, a transforming event in their lives. But if I had to guess, I would say the number was more than zero. There's another man who you may not know about, though I've mentioned him before, and his name is Nabil Qureshi, who grew up as a Muslim who became a Christian and ultimately a medical doctor. And he talks about late-night conversations with his best friend who was a Christian and how in one of them his friend said to him, Nabil, if the truth, and you knew the truth, would change every single thing about your entire life, would you still want to hear it? And maybe that was a little bit closer as an illustration to the experience of Nicodemus in his late night conversation with Jesus in the darkness, under the shadows, because Nicodemus was risking something in that conversation too. As for Qureshi, he said years later, that to know Jesus was worth everything that was lost when he began to follow him. And there was a lot of loss in his life. But those words were powerful. And they became even more so about three and a half years ago when Nabil Qureshi died of cancer at the age of 34. As for Nicodemus, well, those who continue to follow him and eavesdrop on his conversations in the Gospel of John will find him again about four chapters later 
when he is engaged in a meeting with the Sanhedrin and people who were out to get Jesus. And he was reminding them that under their law, a person had to be heard before they were judged, which is to say Nicodemus was defending Jesus. And then, of course, the last time we meet him is in John chapter 19, when the body of Jesus is being brought down from the cross, being cared for reverently and lovingly, and taken to its burial place by a man named Joseph, who, according to John, was assisted by another man who he describes as the one who came to Jesus by night, who spoke to him under the cover of darkness and saw the light of grace that would change his life in time and for all eternity. It may also interest you to know that close to the geographic center of our country, there is a place that is called Nicodemus, Kansas. And it's located in Graham County. And it was founded by a group of freed slaves in the aftermath of the American Civil War who went there and started that settlement. And they named it after Nicodemus because that name represents a new beginning, a new birth, a new life in the freedom of Jesus Christ. As for you, I hope that this conversation helps you to think of what it might be like for you to meet a person who, by all outward appearances, has it all. But they're really living a lie because they don't, and they may know that they don't. And they may still be looking for something that will satisfy them beyond their influence or their affluence or their status in this world. And they may or may not even know John 3.16. And you can be sure to listen to them and to answer their questions as best as you can, but also be sure that you give them the grace that comes in the message of a God who loves the world that includes them. And if you ever find yourself getting wrapped up in your own influence or affluence, or your tribe, or your party, or your past, or your shame. Just remember the words of Jesus, who says, I didn't come to condemn you either. I didn't come to destroy your faith. I came to save you because of my love for you and for all this world. Or as dad told us in Sunday school one day, this is the whole thing. This is everything. It's the grace of God. It's freedom and it's life for you and me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.